You seem a little on edge. Not at all. I haven't felt you this tense since, since we fell into that nest of gumdarks. <laughs> you fell into that nightmare, Master, and I rescued you, remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> You're sweating. Relax. Take a deep breath. I haven't seen her in ten years, Master. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. This is episode number 417, Galactic Highlights, Part 2. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Anakin Skywalker to my Obi-Wan Kenobi, we have Carl LeClaire. Ah, buzz droids. <laughs> Indeed, buzz droids. Ah, <laughs> uh, four, you haven't... Oh, oh dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Ah... Uh. Uh. Jason, I'm so excited to revisit parts of our fandom from like the prequel era for this week's episode, because that, you know, I think for you and I both, as we kind of explained last week, you know, growing up in the mid to late nineties of Star Wars fandom, the prequels are kind of the first real, like our own Star Wars. Um, And I have so many fond memories from both the movies and the experience of my prequel fandom that I can't wait to talk about tonight. Oh, my gosh, Carl. This is this is where Jason's fandom changed from just I really like this Star Wars to full on obsessive, (laughs) like not even close. There's no question about it. Like this is where everything changed prequel era yeah i i guess i i mean i would say the same for me too it this was uh yeah definitely the time when i became like a diehard star wars fan you know i think star wars in those early years was just something fun to do alongside other fun things i did but star wars Mm -hmm. stayed the course in the way that a lot of other things didn't um which makes sense you know a lot of childhood things we love kind of grow out of us but star wars just became more intense as as we entered the the prequel era of the early two thousands, oh, so much fun! It so re- much fun, really was. So tonight we're going to be kind of looking at the the Star Wars experience from basically nineteen ninety nine for me. I know you kind of hit on this a bit last week, up through well, I think you said you're going up to like two thousand ten. Yeah. So yeah, I'm stopping at two thousand five, but um, yeah. <laughs> so. We're basically covering our middle fandom. Uh, and for me, I, there's a shift that happens after about 2010, 2011 um, that we'll talk about next week. Um, but this period of fandom is kind of pretty similar from about, for me, 2001 to 2010. 
So, yeah. Yeah. These were some great years to be Star Wars fans. No doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm so um, excited to talk tonight. But before we do that, we want to remind everybody about what's going on over on our socials. That's right. Yeah. We've, we're in week two now of the This Is Madness tournament where we have, um, you know, lots of epic Star Wars scenes, you know, two, two matchups a day um, that you get to vote on on our Twitter or Instagram. Um, so we're getting like a solid 50, 50 responses each day. Um, so I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Uh, but again, if you, if you are participating, hopefully you're having fun. Um, and again, just want to encourage you to share it, you know, as, as you, whether you're on Twitter or Instagram voting, really encourage you to either share our story, or if you're on Twitter, just retweet why you answered what you answered, right? Spread, spread the news, um, hashtag TWL, this is madness. Um, and, uh, we're just, I think we're just one day away from the sweet 16 when we record today. So we're almost up to, to our, to our sweet 16 here. Um, everything started off very close and some of the most recent matchups have been kind of, (laughs) kind of lopsided, but honestly, I'm not super surprised with some of what they've been. So I feel like each year I, I get a little bit better at how I match things up. But since this is the first year of doing scene matchups, I feel like I certainly dropped the ball on some things. Um, but that's all right. That's what next year's for. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's we're, you know, brand new all over again uh, with, with this year. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I've been having a lot of fun uh, voting and, and seeing what people pick and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how the matchups are going to uh, pan out for, for the next round. So, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So hopefully you're continuing to play along and having fun with this because I sure as heck, even though I'm literally posting them every day at noon, um, I still like get so excited to actually vote on them too. So (laughs) on on my own. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, hopefully you continue to participate in that. Indeed. Um, um, but that said, Jason, I want to take us take us back on a journey back to the uh, the time period of 1999, 2000. Great, great years. Um, you know, I've a young Star Wars fan getting excited just, about the prequels. Just play it, girl. Just well, play it. I don't know what you're talking about, Jason. You might been hurt, babe. That ain't no lie. Just in the mall, come and go. Oh, remember you told me that it made you believe in no man, no cry. Maybe that's right. Every little thing I do never seems enough for you. You don't want to lose it. Oh my gosh, Jason! Two thousand, one of the top pop hits of the year, of course, was "It's Gonna Be Me" by NSYNC, and that was the song Anakin was singing to Obi Wan in the background. It's gonna be Padme. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, <laughs> funny Star Wars connection with NSYNC. Uh, they were filmed, but not put in to the Genosis Arena battle in Attack of the Clones as Jedi. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I'm so that bummed was, that, that they the weren't thing. put in. Oh, that would have been so great to see uh, the members of NSYNC tearing it up in the Geonosis arena. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... <laughs> it's just... I, I, I really kind of... In, I'm a little disappointed that that didn't happen or that we don't have like the behind the scenes footage of this somewhere. I know it. It's, it's like where, where they, it's, it's gotta be the, in the archives. And it, I'm like, come on, yeah. come on. You gotta be in sync Jedi robes and stuff. <laughs> right. If they filmed it, you know, it's action somewhere. Figures, action figures Ugh. in sync and Jedi gear. Ugh, um, be so good. <laughs> so good. Definitely. Definitely want some of those. Um, but yeah, so the year 2000, you know, we saw the, the, the steady rise of boy bands like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. What a great time for music. But we also saw the emergence of the prequel trilogy and, and a great time to be a moviegoer. Um, yeah. So, Jason, I, I'm following your lead this week and kind of going chronologically myself. Excellent. So since my timeline starts before yours, I'm going to go first. Sounds and good to me. The first thing I want to mention um, is my experience of going to see Phantom Menace the first time. I did not go to an early screen. I didn't even get to go at midnight. My mom wouldn't let me. Um, but I did go on opening day with, you know, my cousins that I grew up loving Star Wars with. And this was such a stellar movie experience going into that movie, into a new Star Wars movie for the first time. And, you know, getting to see all a whole new story on the screen. Like it was out of this world. Um, and I got to say something that the movie fanboys does great is capturing the excitement of the, the movie. theater. Uh, sorry, I just had to play that quick clip because I just we needed to hear that crowd. That was exactly what it was like in the movie theater going to see it the first time. And I know I've told this story before, but, you know, we you know, back before the days of being able to reserve your seats, we stood in line for a while, even though we had tickets, we still stood in line for I mean, I was nine years old, so it felt like. Jeez, I wasn't nine years old. I'm really bad at math. I was 13, <laughs> but uh, it felt like I was in line probably for half a day, but I was maybe in line an hour. But we finally get in, you get in your seats and the, you know, the trailers finally start and somebody yells out the first transport is away. And then the crowd <laughs> just erupted in cheers. I mean, that is one of the fondest memories I will have till the day I die. Just the electricity that was in the room that that evening was unmatched in my life experience. It was so exciting to sit down and watch a whole new star Wars movie. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I didn't have that experience with Phantom Menace. I had a similar one with attack of the clones, um, but I didn't have that with a Phantom Menace. I didn't realize it was such a huge thing um, that early on in 99. Um, but you know, obviously I loved it. And as I continued to digest the Phantom Menace, you know, on home video after it was released, I began to realize and really appreciate, oh, Star Wars is actually like super huge and amazing. And it's not just like this thing that's me, that's mine. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was all sort of ready for that kind of thing by the time Attack of the Clones came out. But that's awesome, Carl. I, I'm, I envy you. 
that experience. So it was, uh, yeah, it was something else. I mean, and I loved going to see all the special editions back in 97 and that was exciting too, but I don't remember anything there the way I remember the Phantom Menace. Nice. So, um, well, where are you taking us first in your journey? Well, um, for me, we're going to start with the three and three quarter inch action figures, namely the saga line. Uh, that came out with Attack of the Clones because this is where my collecting became huge. Like, this is where everything was like, oh, I need this one and I need that one and I want all of them. <laughs> and uh, it became a big thing. Like, I'd already been a bit of a collector with the Phantom Menace era and obviously the Power of the Force line and Power of the Jedi line and all that fun stuff. Like, I'd been a, I've been a collector and I'd gotten, you know, enough figures Uh, to be very content as a kid. However, the saga line came out, and it was, you know, of course it focused primarily on Attack of the Clones. You have figures from the other movies or, uh, you know, re-releases of different figures from previous films and stuff like that, and so I just kept getting them, like as many of them as I could. Um, but it started before watching, before Attack of the Clones came out, because this the the action figure line launched at least a month or two before the movie did, and I already had figures from Attack of the Clones before watching Attack of the Clones. So, like, I got the Attack of the Clones Jar Jar. I had Kit Fisto before I watched the movie because I was like, this guy mm-hmm. looks cool. So, um, those are my first two figures that I got from this line before the movie hit. So uh, that was pretty fun. And then I got, uh, we celebrated, I think it came out like a couple days after my birthday. And for my birthday, I got a couple more figures. I got Obi-Wan's Jedi Starfighter, you know, things like that. So I was already amped up for this movie before going to go see it. Uh, and it started with the figures. And, and this is why I have, an abiding love for all sorts of three and three quarter inch Star Wars action figures. Um, and this is where it all began, really. Um, like, like, maybe not completely began, but this is where it took off and became and created an obsessive collector in me that I am trying very hard to control some days. So, <laughs> <laughs> but this is where it all started. I love it. I love it. Yeah, obviously, like that's where I ended last last week's show. Is talking about the Power of the Force line specifically, but yeah, that's so cool. Um, just the way that the figures enhance the experience so much, specifically as a as a young person, right? Um, and yeah. obviously, like our love of Star Wars action figures and collectibles, I would say for so many of us, never really goes away. But nope. But the the kind of like the excitement and the fun of them certainly is different. You know, like. It's great when I'm at a, at a Target and I randomly find like a cool figure on the shelf because let's be real, there's not that many that hang on the pegs anymore these days. Um, no, but you know there was just there was just such a spark because you know when when you're young like that and you see that new figure, you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to expand my storytelling abilities, right? Whereas now it's like, oh, this is going to look cool on my wall or on my shelf, like, and it's not to diminish that 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 reality, but you know there's it's just a different level of excitement when you're young. Indeed. So, Indeed. I love it. I'm still an opener to this day. Oh, me too. I, Sorry, Sorry I folks. 
I the oh. only th- I the only things I keep unopened is some of the vintage figures I keep in the package just because I love the vintage cards and I just think they look cool on them. But other than that, I open everything. So <laughs> I open all my vintage figures because I like the articulation that they have. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's very very fair. But anyway, yeah. That so that was my first one. Uh, what's your What's your next one, Carl? Well. Obviously, I talked about what it was like to see Phantom Menace, but I got to I got to hit on a very iconic moment from Phantom Menace. That was the first time I ever again. Yes, I'm only 13, so I, it's not like I'd seen a ton of movies, but this was the first time I had a visceral, physical reaction in a movie theater or something, and it was getting goosebumps. We'll take the long way. Oh, they took the short way to my heart, though. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Duel of the Fates, I mean, to this day, is still my favorite lightsaber fight in all of Star Wars. Um, And it's still no question. Like, there's no contest. I still don't think anything comes close to how cool this fight is. Um, But I remember, you know, young Carl just sitting there in the theater and like you, like we all knew that this fight was coming, right? Like we'd seen the trailers, we'd yeah. seen the music video, like they obviously gave us clips of it in, in you know, in uh, press releases and everything. So I knew this fight was coming, but it was something else to get it in the movie. And I, re- I mean, I can remember the goosebumps starting on my arms. I could feel the hairs on my like arms standing up. Like that was the first time I ever had a physical reaction to a movie. And it was like, and it was before they even started fighting. Like, it was just like, oh, here it is. This is when it's, this is when it's going down. And every, I I don't remember how many times I saw the movie in theaters when it first came out. My guess is probably like three or four because I was 13. I was relying on my parents to take me and I'm sure they didn't want to go more than a few times. (laughs) But, um, so, but I do remember every single time I went to the theater in 99 and watched that movie. I had the same reaction to Duel of the Fates, just the the way my my skin just reacted to the coolness on the screen. And something you kind of pointed out last week, Jason, was um, how Phantom Menace like was when you really fell in love with Jedi. Um, And that was so true for me as well. You know, up until that movie came out, I was a Han Solo guy. Like I liked the Rebel blaster fights, but Duel of the Fates made me a true blue Jedi lover. And I wanted nothing more than to have my own lightsaber to train in the ways of lightsaber combat. And I tried as hard as I could. Um, Again, I know I've told this story in the past, but out on my bridge, we had a covered bridge over a creek in my backyard growing up. And to me, that just in in my imagination became the the shield doors um, on the way down to the reactor pit where Qui-Gon is killed. And I used to just put my Walkman headphones on play Duel of the Fates on my Walkman and just recreate that duel as best I could with my Rite Aid plastic Qui-Gon Jinn lightsaber. (laughs) Just absolutely loved that duel. It's so good. It's very, very good. And I, yeah, I love this duel. I love this duel a lot. Um, And it, you know, like I said, uh, this movie just changed the way I viewed Star Wars because of the Jedi. Um, and this was a large part of it. So I'm totally with you there, Carl. Um, however, my next moment 
we're going to kind of get a similar experience for me, except with Attack of the Clones. Uh, so we're going to jump all the way to 2002. Um, and the experience with seeing it was was really fun. Uh, the the energy and the cheers in the crowd when Yoda ignited his lightsaber for the first time in the duel against Dooku, I will never forget. It, not nearly as dramatic as the, you know, how it seems to have gone for you with the Phantom Menace, but it was still really cool. Um, however, the scene, and this should come as no surprise for longtime listeners of the Wampus Lair podcast, the scene that really captivated my attention and became my obsession for many, many, many years to come is the Genosis Arena battle. Um, hands down, without a doubt. Uh, just being able to watch all the Jedi just, you know, go at it against battle droids uh, in just a, you know, I don't know, a milieu, a, a melee of lightsabers and blaster bolts and, you know, awesome, cool-looking aliens and, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme and Mace Windu all, you know, going at it with, you know, the creatures still running around and some of the, you know, next, not the next two, uh, the, the Reek and the Ackley still running around in there, you know, just absolute mayhem. And it was amazing. And I loved it. Um, it, it is become the sort of the focus of my collection at times. Uh, I have probably most, if not all of the Jedi action figures that they've released over the years uh, from the Genosis Arena, including just the random ones that have a name because Pablo Hidalgo came up with one <laughs> for the web the website or something like that. You know, um, it became so much that I would reenact it, um, you know, by recreating the different, you know, scenes and actions that the Jedi had because I spent entire afternoons, hours, pausing and going through this battle frame by frame once we had it on home video on dvd uh i would just go frame by frame and watch the jedi in the background and how they what they did and all this stuff i spent even more hours in the backyard recreating it you know in my head and swinging my yellow wiffle bat around like it was my lightsaber because that was the best thing i owned that had the correct balance for a lightsaber um and uh before we had, you know, it came out on home video, I had the comic book uh, adaptation of Attack of the Clones. And I'd have, I'd bring that issue with the Genosis Arena battle out in the backyard with me. And I'd open it up to the arena images just to help me recreate this uh, since I didn't have the access to run down to the movie theater and watch it again. So, you know, <laughs> it was a huge obsession and still is to some degree. Um, but like, I, I, I don't, I don't even know how to quantify the amount of time that has been developed, you know, uh, devoted to that scene, that sequence um, over the years, whether it's been in my collection, uh, whether it's been just playing it, whether it's been watching it on repeat or imagining stories based off of characters that I created that were there, you know, things like that. I don't know. It was, there is no way to quantify the amount of time that I have spent around that scene in Star Wars. And it's 
still probably one of the most influential things in my entire fandom at this point. So, yeah. It's so great. You know, that, that shot of them just running with lightsabers out and then a line of battle droids. I mean, it's it's literally the things we had been imagining. I mean, even though you and I had only been Star Wars fans for a few years at that point, they were already mm-hmm. things we were imagining. And I know it's true for so many of the like OT generation fans, right? Like they wanted to see the Jedi in their, in their prime and in their heyday. And you get hints of that in Phantom Menace, but you get it full on in that Geonosis arena. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and I remember years ago, Jason, you sent me some really awesome pictures cause you'd created basically these dioramas with all those action figures yourself. And you sent me mm-hmm. some of those photos. If you still have them, you should send them to me again so I can put them on our social. Um, yeah, definitely. I will yeah. do that. Yeah, they were so cool, and 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 it was clear the the meticulous like details you paid to the movie by the way you set things up, and I just I think that was just so cool, and it, it was yeah. it was awesome. Um, and I just as, time. Go, Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. There have been a few times I've recreated that scene with my action figures, um, just for photo taking purposes, and I remember the couple of times it was uh done in a couple of stages like three or four stages like one is the the beginning where you know the jedi are just charging and there's the battle droids um and then there's like mayhem there's a more advanced mayhem uh you know further on into the battle and then there's the rescue with the jedi in the circle um at the end so yeah i'll i'll get you some of those pictures and we can maybe post them on instagram and and stuff uh share those for a while yeah, because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of pictures. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and they're all so good. But but yeah, like that's the thing I love is just that meticulous nature. You know, it's I think as adult fans we still kind of do that. But again, there's just like there's this obsessiveness when you're a young person to just like being latched onto one particular scene and rewinding it and watching it again, rewinding it just because you want to get every last detail. So that you can just play it out in your head when your eyes are closed. You know what I mean? So. And I did that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. I love it. What's your your next one, Carl? Well, we're going to stay in Attack of the Clones um, because, you know, it's such a good movie. Um, And, you know, I've talked about stuff for years about the, the scene with Anakin talking about the Tuskens. But I got to say, there was, the thing that drew me to Anakin, specifically in Attack of the Clones in 2002, was the frustration and anger he felt over the loss of his mother. Why'd she have to die? Why couldn't I save her? I know I could have. Sometimes there are things no one can fix. You're not all powerful. Well, I should be. Someday I will be. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. I promise you. I love that scene. And I, I mean, I there's obviously a part of me that just wants to let it keep playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't admit, say no. As he admits <laughs> to his dark deeds. But, you know... I, I think the reason I was really drawn to this particular part of Anakin's story and, you know, again, I was, so in 2002, I was, I was 16 years old, so not quite a kid anymore, but 
young enough, I would say that I didn't really pay attention to the things that people, you know, obviously had issues with, with Hayden Christensen at the time, his acting and all of that. To me, there was, it was all perfect. Like I thought he was great. I thought he played the character perfectly. Um, but this scene about him not being able to, you know, save his mother is obviously the, it's kind of the anchor to what turns him to Darth Vader, you know, his inability to control things. Um, but you know, at that time in my life, um, and obviously this is personal information, but you know, my, my parents were starting to really not get along. Um, I mean, eventually they were going to get divorced. Um, but there was this process of, you know, where like my mom started becoming less and less present. Um, she wasn't around the house as much. She was making time for other things cause it wasn't a great space for her. And I felt like I was kind of losing my mom and I really connected to Anakin and his frustration and his anger there about like, why can't I fix this? And in, in my 16 year old mind, it was like, why can't I fix what's going on with my parents? Why can't I make this stuff better? Why can't I fix this? And that feeling of helplessness that Anakin is experiencing and holding in this particular part of the movie really spoke to 16 year old Carl. It really, I, I just felt so seen by that. Cause it's like, wow, you can be a really good person. And like, you know, Anakin's goodness is what makes him in a way powerful. And yet there's sometimes things you just can't fix. Like Padme makes clear to him, you know, sometimes there's things no one can fix. And, you know, like you just get angry that you can't fix it. And, and a lot of times you need someone to blame for the fact that you have these imitation or excuse me, these limitations, right? So for Anakin, you know, it's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's jealous. He's holding me back, right? Anakin yeah. needs someone to blame because he's just not capable of accepting the truth that there are things out of our control. And sometimes that's just the way life works. Um, so, you know, like I was a very angry teenager uh, because of those, you know, very similar things to what, to what Anakin was experiencing. So I found those moments to be really, really powerful. Um, and I still love those scenes to this day, probably for a lot of those emotional reasons. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that stuff, it, I think it was one of the first times where it really clicked for me um, that Star Wars could mirror my own life. You know, that there was something in the Star Wars mythology that could be a uh, reflection of my own reality. And, it, you know, Anakin and Attack of the Clones was the first time where I felt like I could identify with a Star Wars character. You know, I loved Han Solo. I loved Luke Skywalker. I thought Qui-Gon Jinn was cool. I didn't particularly identify with them. Anakin and Attack of the Clones was my entry point into that experience of Star Wars. Um, and obviously, since then, there's been a lot of characters and moments I've identified with. But this was kind of the first time that happened to me. And it makes sense. You know, I was 16. I wasn't nine years old. You know, like your emotional capacity is much is much broader. Um, so yeah, I loved, I loved that stuff with Anakin and, and that, that frustration he was experiencing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and it is one of, uh, Hayden's best scenes in the, uh, in this movie. Um, it's a very, uh, impactful moment and it, it really is. You're right. The, the moment that he really kind of starts down the dark path. Uh, it's it's not even necessarily the fact that he kills the Tuscan Raiders. It's the fact that he starts justifying it. Yeah, uh, is what sends him down this path. And it is he is a very human character. You know, in spite of any of the you know the flaws in the uh, the acting or the directing or anything like that, he's a very human character. And that scene 
more, I think, in Attack of the Clones than it is in Revenge of the Sith. Um, you know, but yeah, it's a, it's a good scene. It's a very good scene. And I, we've talked about it numerous times on the podcast because it is such an impactful moment for you. And you, <laughs> it's, we, uh, we talk about it every time we get the chance to. So, <laughs> yeah, a good one. It yeah. is. It is. You know, I think, um, and musically, it's one of my favorite scenes now. Just, you know, the way it goes from the emperor mm-hmm. theme as he's justifying his act of, you know, of slaughter of, of essentially, you know, in a complete extinction of an entire camp of people. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into the Vader theme, right? As like, that's his destiny. Now, if this is, if this is how he's going to choose to respond to his emotional turmoil, it's going to lead nowhere. Good. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not a good scene for Anakin, but mm. it's a great scene for us to watch. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like it. I like it. Well, um, my next scene here that I want to take is uh, going to move us into Revenge of the Sith, actually. Um, I've got a longer timeline that I'm covering this episode than Carl is, so um, I'm going to go ahead and jump uh, into Revenge of the Sith here. We, uh, we're we going to focus in on a scene that happens about halfway through the movie, and this is, uh, well, this is Sidious Revealed. This is when the Jedi come to uh, to take him on, and uh, it's treason then. Uh, and this is another scene that I spent not nearly as much time recreating uh, as the Genosis Arena, but I spent a significant amount of time this summer of 2005 recreating this scene in my backyard, um, playing out the different parts of the Jedi, you know, that got cut down uh and then of course Sidious um (laughs) and this is I think Revenge of the Sith is really kind of where my uh appreciation and uh an enjoyment of Sidious as a character really kind of took off and you'll see some of that as we continue to go on but um this is really kind of the moment that was like okay this is when he gets to relish in everything that he's brought together to this point so um obviously i I enjoyed it because the scene because my my boy kit fisto was in it although he did die oh sad uh but this is when palpatine really gets to go ha ha i can finally reveal myself Mm -hmm. to the people that it matters to so uh but this is you know i've never been shy about the fact that star wars for me is adventure and excitement uh, is a huge part of my enjoyment of Star Wars. And so a fun lightsaber battle like this is definitely uh, what what harnessed Jason's attention <laughs> at this time. So um, I still think, yeah, th- this, this one was at the time very in- influential for me for whatever reason. Um, not so much anymore, but at the time, I spent a lot of time around this scene. Um, just, you know, kind of studying everything that led up to it and, you know, watching where Palpatine went from this moment. So it's a, it's a big one for me. That's a great scene. And I, I remember that, that the trailer we got for the movie, um, and we get like a quick shot of that scene, right? Where we just see him land in front of them with his lightsaber out and that's it. 
and there's like this mm-hmm. really cool music. It almost sounds like a sword is being drawn, like a like a, a like a steel sword, not a lightsaber. Um, there's something yeah. very you know ominous and deadly about that shot. And then when we see it in the movie, it's just like, oh god, he's unleashed now, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, they've they've woken the monster, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I mean, I guess to be fair, it's finally time for the, he. It's finally okay for the monster to strike. Like all the pieces are pl- finally in place for for Sidious to to act. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I thought the same thing that you know when I first saw that movie, I was like, this is so cool. Like he just demolished three Jedi masters in like a second. Um, I mean, looking back on it, I do find that scene a little cheesy, like poor Kit Fisto, like he doesn't even put up his lightsaber to protect himself. Like the choreography, I still think is a little lame. I'm, I'm just going to own that. But like on you first, mean, what uh, you mean, Agen Kolar doesn't get his lightsaber up at all. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Kit Fisto does for like three, three little strikes, but that's it. Yeah, he, um, he gets a couple. Of them. Yeah, that's um, it. Again, this is a scene that plays out much better in the novel. Um, not not to knock the movie, but the novel is so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, Palpatine, you know, doing his famous 1080 or whatever it is um, across, across the across the desk. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. And and you know, obviously, they're trying to establish the reality that just like no Jedi Master is even even a thing to worry about for Sidious. Like he is just in a league of his own. Um, right. You know, and I think it's still up for debate whether or not Mace Windu holds his own or is he or is Sidious playing with Mace or does Mace actually get the upper hand? I think that's still a great debate to have because I I can see it both ways. I can see it as Sidious is totally toying with him, waiting for Anakin. And there is a part mm-hmm. of me that thinks, nah, like I actually just finished the, the Matthew Stover book Shatterpoint, which is the Mace Windu story. Um, and obviously that's a legends book now, but if that were canon, I do indeed think that Mace Windu might've actually, might've actually been a better com- combatant than Yoda, um, just because of his mastery of the pod. So, but anyway, that's a debate we can have another time. And I know we've had before and we'll probably have in years to come. Cause it's just so fun to talk about. <laughs> it is. It's very fun to talk about, uh, debate all these different characters and stuff, but yes. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to I'm going to keep us in the Revenge of the Sith era and because uh, I want to talk about the first time I ever went to a midnight Star Wars movie. I was finally able God. to go to the midnight premiere of Revenge of the Sith. Um, Phantom Menace, my mom wouldn't hear of it. And Attack of the Clones, she still said, no, you're not going to be able to get up for school tomorrow. And yet let me leave school early the next day to go see Attack of the Clones. So, I mean, I left like I know I got to skip out of one my final class of the day, sophomore year to see attack of the clones, which I thought was silly. I was like, you, I can't go to school tired, but I can skip early. Anyway, that's mm-hmm. a debate. That's that goes back all the way to 2002 with my mother. But, um, <laughs> so when revenge of the Sith came out, I was just finishing up my freshman year of college. I had my own car. It was kind of my first experience as an adult star Wars fan in, in my own way. Right? Like I wasn't reliant upon my parents to take me. Um, I was able to see it as much as I wanted. Although to be fair, I think I only saw it like twice. Um, but I finally got to go to a midnight premiere and I went with my two cousins, my cousins, Ricky and Andrew, who got me into star Wars. Um, at this point in our lives, we weren't particularly close. We really only talked about star Wars whenever there's a new star Wars movie coming out. So it was so exciting to get to go with them to a midnight premiere of a star Wars movie. Um, 
And I also remember, you know, that, that the end of my freshman year was the first time I had like a real girlfriend and she was so excited about me going to the midnight premiere. And I felt like, um, you know, I've told this story before, but I was like, I no longer had to like hide my star Wars fandom. Like I could totally wear it on my sleeve and even tell my girlfriend. And she thought it was cool that I was going. Um, so it was just like this really neat experience of like, Hey, I'm a star Wars fan and, and I can, do what I want with that. Now, if I want to go see this movie at midnight, I'm going to do it. And you know, there's nothing, my, my parents can't really fight me on it. I got my own car. I got my own money. Um, and like, I remember my college girlfriend, she lived uh, kind of far away from me during summer or summer break. So I, you know, she didn't come with me, but she was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you get to go. And it was just like, I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm cool. I'm going to go see a Star Wars at midnight. And it was just like, you know, for so much of like middle school and high school, I kind of was always quiet about being a Star Wars fan because people made fun of me if they found out. So, you know, uh, it was just this cool experience. Uh, And I think this is so true of so many people in college, right? Like you can you can finally really be yourself um, without as much nervousness about that, that that social pressure. And I know that's not true for everybody, but. Um, you know, it was just this really cool experience of like, Hey, I'm a star Wars fan and I'm going to a midnight premiere and just felt so cool about that. Like I felt cool for being a star Wars fan, um, which was probably the first time I felt cool since probably I was a young kid. Um, so it was, it was just really fun. Yeah. Well, I've never felt cool in my life, so you got that on me. Uh, no, just kidding. (laughs) Shut your mouth. You're awesome. Oh, well, you know. Sometimes, um, <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. I I didn't get to a Star Wars midnight showing until uh, Force Awakens. I did not see any of the the prequels uh, at midnight, um, and I honestly don't think it was opening day. I think I we always waited until that Saturday, like the first Saturday of, of opening weekend, to go see it, uh, just because it was. When my dad was, you know, it was easier for my dad to get off and go see it. So um, I was always just like, felt like I was just a little bit behind everybody during the prequels. So, and I wanted to go to the midnight showing, uh, but I don't remember what it was, but I think I had something scheduled or whatever, but I didn't get to go see it at midnight. Um, I was very, very disappointed about that. Uh, mm-hmm. It was shortly before I was started to go to different, various midnight showings of different things, but um, yeah, no, the, can we, the midnight show, sorry, go ahead. I was say, can we just talk about how it's great nowadays though? Like you don't actually have to go at midnight. Like you can go at seven o'clock the night before, like yes. midnight showing yeah, kind of sucks. You you don't get out of the movie till like 3am. So, right. Right. <laughs> um, although for me, that's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> I stay up. I'm a late night owl. I stay up late. Yeah. I didn't I care when I was 18, but in my thirties, yeah. no, thank you. So. Yeah. Well, but yeah, now, nowadays it's, you know, midnight showing means early release on Thursday night, you know, where you can go right. at seven o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever, and you leave by midnight. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, that was, that wasn't something I, I had the ability to do at the time. So I'm very, a little bit envious of you. I do remember the last time I saw Revenge of the Sith in the theater, though, um, I went with one of my, my big Star Wars buddies at the time. Uh, just the two of us and we thought we were going to have the entire theater to ourselves mm. this was like late in the run and it was like the last time we were going to be able to go see it in the theater kind of a deal and so we're like well let's go see it one more time um 
and at that time I had a car and I was able to go drive myself to the movie theater. And, you know, uh, so that was fun, but we thought we we're going to have the whole thing to ourselves. We we're like, well, we can just start reenacting it as it plays out. Cause it was like a huge auditorium with like, you know, the, the aisle across the middle. Uh, and we were like, well, we were sitting right in front of that. We we're like, well, we could just kind of play it out and, you know, duel while the movie's going things like that we were like that would be awesome and then like during the previews like two families showed up we're like no (laughs) so we were very disappointed about that but we almost had the entire theater to ourselves uh should it you should have dealt with them like anakin did the tuscans hey hey yeah um that's a little but yeah that's awesome um let's see number four for me um, and this, this is sort of built off of my appreciation for Palpatine that I got in Revenge of the Sith. Um, but it was, you know, mid to late two thousands when I started really getting in, you know, appreciating, uh, Palpatine overall as a character and revisiting Return of the Jedi was a big thing I did, um, for, a couple of years there and I still go back and revisit it, you know, cause it's my favorite star Wars movie, but Palpatine versus Luke became something much bigger for me. Mm. And the way that, you know, Palpatine tried to seduce Luke much the way he tried to seduce Anakin. Um, and then you know, obviously Luke being able to stand up against it. Uh, and so this is when, you know, I basically learned all of Palpatine's lines from Re- Return of the Jedi um, and just the interaction and the way that Palpatine, you know, toyed with Luke uh, and then decided, you know, once he was done trying to convert Luke to just try and destroy him and then how uh, you know Luke was able to reach out to his father after I'm a Jedi, like my father before me after that whole thing. Um I know it's multiple scenes, but that whole sequence of just cutting back to Luke, Vader, and Palpatine on the Death Star over Endor during the you know the last third of that movie became really important to me um, during this time period, and uh, that was just something that that really you know became important and has stuck Mm. you know over the years. It's it's not really left so. You know, some of these things are are just big and super and awesome in the moment, but they fade over time. Um, but this one has kind of stuck, uh, you know, as one of my more iconic and and favorite and impactful uh, scenes in Star Wars, and just being able to, in the the face of of darkness and everything, be able to say, "No, I am a Jedi," mm. like my father for me, um, even if it doesn't look like you're going to be able to make it out of it alive, you know, is, is a very impactful thing. Um, it, plus like, you know, like I said, uh, this is when I really started to appreciate Palpatine overall as a character and his character arc at the time, uh, there, you know, ended there. So yeah, I was very involved in there, intrigued by all of that. So this, this is when that kind of started happening. Nice. That's so cool. Yeah, the just the the way your awareness opens up to certain parts of Star Wars that you, you know, had grown up with, the way that that mm-hmm. changes. 
um, is obviously so, so incredible. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's so funny to me when you think about the, the moments in return of the Jedi, when, when the emperor is trying to convert Luke the way he did his father, you know, you think about how he had a decade to work on Anakin, you know, and in a lot of ways, a far more volatile character in Anakin than Luke. Luke is a lot more steady in who, who is, who he is and in his identity. Um, so it's still, it's still curious to me how the emperor really thought he could change Luke, but that's why, again, I'm going to derail us for a quick second, but that's why I do somewhat enjoy as silly as it is the idea that we get in rise of Skywalker about how, you know, the emperor wants Ray to strike him down so that he can inhabit her body. There's mm-hmm. a part of me, again, this is me retconning and, and doing my own headcanon, but part of me thought like maybe in Return of the Jedi, he wasn't really trying to convert Luke so much as just get Luke to strike him down. Go ahead, kill, yeah. your, kill your father, kill me, but then he can, you know, become Luke. So, you know, yeah. this is obviously me retconning something that clearly was not in George's mind at all. Um, but, you know, I just feel like since they gave us this, this new story beat in episode nine about the emperor's desire, this old Sith magic of inhabiting someone, um, which is something, by the way, we've seen across Star Wars a lot in Legends. So for all everybody's yeah. like, we've never seen this before. Yeah, we have. <laughs> so oh, it's not, it's not new. Um, well, I mean, it was, it was a huge deal in the comics, you yep, know, Dark Empire. Yep. Yep. Dark Empire. It was, it was, there was a whole series of comics all about it. So, yeah. 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 So whether or not that works for you is another thing, but it's certainly been there. Um, yes. And I, that's why, like, just it, that's something like to this day. Now, when I think about that scene, there is almost this part of me. It's like, ooh, what if this was the emperor again? Just like, how's he going to convert Luke? Really? Like, he's going to do it in an hour, something he took him a decade to do with Anakin. Um, you know, but maybe it is something more sinister. It's just like kill Vader. Now kill me. And then you don't even realize what you would do. So. Um, but yeah, like I just, the, but just going with that idea, Jason, of like how our understanding of key scenes just change as we grow and as, as we experience more Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, and it is great because, you know, like I said, like you said, I, this is something I had, you know, watched numerous times before this, you know, like I said, Return of the Jedi is my favorite movie uh, in the Star Wars franchise. And I've, so I've seen this all this numerous times, but after Revenge of the Sith is when I started really sort of appreciating the nuances of what was going on um, and understanding kind of where more where Palpatine was coming from and what he was trying to accomplish and things like that, or at least an interpretation of it, um, you know, which has changed as we get more information over the years. But um, yeah, that was when I really started looking at things new again. Old is new again. <laughs> yeah. 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 What's yeah. uh what's so your uh, next one? Yeah, oh. so for me coming up, um, we're gonna go to a moment from Revenge of the Sith, and it's a moment we've talked about so many times, Jason, but I think it's one of the most iconically powerful scenes in all of Star Wars. You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them! Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. I hate you! 
Anakin. I loved you. Oh my goodness. That scene is so good. It really is. Um, you know, so obviously I, I talked about with Phantom Menace, Duel of the Fates being kind of this first time I had a physical reaction to anything on a movie screen. Um, but the this moment, you know, the you were the chosen one scene at the end of the, the duel on Mustafar is the first time I ever cried at Star Wars. Um, you know, now I cry like everything. I mean, I love crying, but <laughs> um, I love a good cry. And, you know, I mean, from Din and Grogu back to Han Solo being killed, like I've cried pretty damn hard at some things in Star Wars. But this was the first time I ever cried at anything in Star Wars. And I wasn't bawling my eyes out, but there were tears coming down my cheeks for the first time in a movie theater. And secondly, first time watching a Star Wars movie where I had that sort of emotional reaction. Um, and, you know, I think there was a combination of, of why that happened as I was watching the scene. There was just the simple reality of what was playing out in the story, right? This was the death of this beloved friendship that we had been watching for the past decade. Take part on, you know, take take part in these uh, across these movies. I mean, this is Anakin and Obi-Wan. We know they're supposed to be brothers and best friends. And now we see the death of that friendship. That's something worth shedding some tears about. And I think it was also yeah. the reality that in 2005, we thought this was the last star Wars movie we were ever going to get. You know, George was pretty yeah. adamant about that. And, and all the, the press releases, all the, um, you know, press junkets he did when people asked, oh, are you going to do more? And he's like, nope, this is it for me. I've finished my story. So, you know, you go there and you have this very emotional scene that you're watching. And you're like, oh, man, I'm never going to see Star Wars on the big screen again. It's like really what, you know, I was thinking and probably all of us were thinking. So can't help but shed a tear that like, oh, my God, Star Wars is done. Um, and in a really real weird, like real way, like I just mentioned, obviously I went to this midnight premiere with my two cousins who at this point in my life, we just, we weren't close anymore. Like we, we, it's not like we didn't get along. We just were very different people. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself, oh no, I'm going to lose these guys because this was star Wars. The star Wars movies, the new ones were the things that still kept us coming back to each other. Right. You know, for those three years between attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith, the only time we would ever like exchange AOL instant messengers because there was no texting back then was because we saw the new trailer for the next Star Wars movie. But other than that, we just weren't close like we were when we were younger. And there was a part of me as I was watching this friendship die out. I was like, oh, man, I'm probably going to like, oh, man, there goes the rest of my, you know, my friendship with my two cousins. And and in a lot of ways, it kind of was true. You know, and again, like I still talk to them, especially about Star Wars things every now and then. And, and they're great guys. And I love seeing them at family things. But you know, the, the relationship's just not the same anymore. Um, so I think that was part of it too. Um, and I got to own this too. Uh, it was the first time I was ever disappointed by star Wars. And what I mean Ooh. by that, and like, and, and I, and I, I felt ident- I identified a lot with Obi-Wan in that moment. Like you were the chosen one, like the, all of this hope that we hung on to you. It was so much. And so like going into this movie, probably like every star Wars fan, I had really high expectations for this final duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan and I felt disappointed and I still feel that way to this day. And I know there are so many people out there that think the battle of the heroes is the way that I think of duel of the fates, right? It has no comparison. Like it's the coolest duel ever, but I was so disappointed by battle of the heroes. I love the way it begins, but halfway into the duel, I'm like, okay, we're jumping on like little guardrails. We're like, 
doing ballet across pipes. Like we're swinging on a rope. Like I'm like, this is so silly. And in a weird way, it was also this weird experience of like, oh man, Star Wars let me down a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, sadly today, we live in a world where when people get a little let down, they have to immediately act with this vitriol hatred. I certainly didn't act that way. I still loved the movie and I still loved Star Wars. Um, but there was like this weird feeling of like, oh man, something I love this much can actually let me down a little bit. And I think that, you know, as diehard Star Wars fans, we have to learn to uh, accept that reality of Star Wars too, that sometimes we're going to experience a part of Star Wars that kind of lets us down and being able to respond appropriately which is being like ah, oh, i didn't really like that and not having to fly off the handles like folks do today um mm. but i shouldn't say today i mean i was too young to know how people were such jerks about phantom menace but you know um right. but you know i i like to i like to say that this is a part of my star wars journey too you know like the first time i was kind of disappointed by it um and to this day like i still wish battle of the heroes was better <laughs> so um <laughs> You know, so no, no shame to anybody and no, no shade thrown at anyone who, who, who thinks this is the best duel. Awesome. I'm glad you do. Um, it was just, it, it was kind of my biggest letdown of the prequels. Um, so, but I think it was an important experience to have too. It wasn't what Carl wanted. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's fine, but it just, you know, but a lot of people did and I'm glad that they yeah. got what they wanted. So, yeah, I mean, um, the end of the, 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 the it bookends great. I love the opening parts where they first are fighting. And I love obviously that very end, like emotional confrontation. But a lot of the middle part, I was just like, what is this? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, I was more in, you know, for for that part of the movie, I was more into it for the Palpatine Yoda confrontation. That was hmm. <laughs> that was where my focus was going. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right um and this is the next one we're going to skip ahead a couple of years um because the next really kind of big thing that hits for me is the clone wars mm. um and uh by the time i'm sort of cutting things off we have about three seasons of the clone wars that have come out by this time you know what time the the time period that I'm covering in this episode, the first three seasons of Clone Wars are out, uh, which is when it really starts ramping up as season three. Um, but this was new Star Wars. We had been told we weren't getting new movies, um, and I believed them uh, like everyone else did. But we got new Star Wars content. We got a new animated show, which was amazing. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, it started off a little slow, but there were definitely things that drew me in, and it really kind of transformed my view on what Star Wars could be um, and how you could in, you know, experience Star Wars or interpret Star Wars and things like that. But you know, it was dealing with events that were part of my favorite part of Star Wars, the Clone Wars, you know, starting with Attack of the Clones and ending with Revenge of the Sith. And this was just like, oh, thank God, more of this. This is what I want. So um, that was exciting for me. And, uh, you know, it's hard to pick a specific moment because it, there is just so much content from it. Mm -hmm. So I picked a couple of, of key episodes that really, at least in, in this era, were big and important for me. Um, obviously, Lair of Grievous, which is where Kit Fisto tracks Grievous down to his lair, uh, was, was big and exciting for me because it was a Kit Fisto-centric episode. Um, 
the Ryloth trilogy is still one of my favorite trilogies in the whole series because of the story it tells. Um, Animation-wise and things like that, it's you know still very basic for the Clone Wars, and it gets a lot better as it goes on. Uh, but that that trilogy, you know, to sort of begin the wrap up of season one is still one of my favorites. I do really enjoy it. Um, Supply Lines was an episode from season three, which uh, was split between uh, a prequel to the Ryloth trilogy with uh, Jedi Master Die, uh, and <laughs> the other half was Jar Jar Binks and Bail Organa trying to get supplies to the people of Ryloth. And then, of course, there was the Night Sister trilogy in season three. That was also really huge for me. Um, and really kind of a big turning point, I think, for the series in general. Um, but it was just a huge thing, uh, you know, new content for Star Wars and sort of started a, in a sense, a bit of a Star Wars renaissance hmm. um, post-prequel trilogy uh, and really kind of made the voice actors my new uh, celebrities. You know, the the celebrity, the Star Wars celebrities that I wanted to meet now were the voice actors more than almost anybody else at the time. And it really kind of transformed my awareness of what I wanted to do with acting. And uh, it was like, oh, oh, I could do voice acting. And that seems to be really kind of down my, you know, my preferred trail anyway. So this is awesome. And so not only did I dive into the new content because it was my favorite you know, time period and things that I wanted to see more of, uh, more Jedi on droid action. Um, but it also opened up a new avenue to me for the career path that I wanted to go down uh, in a way that was very tangible um, to me. So that's a huge milestone for me with Star Wars uh, in my life is the beginning of the Clone Wars and everything that it did, so, uh, you know, after that. So, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Clone Wars was much later in my fan experience because I didn't get into them right away. Like, I, to this, the only Star Wars movie I've never seen in theaters was the Clone Wars movie. Um, and I didn't get into that show till really fan days, which is obviously where I met you. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I knew, I mean, I knew what it was on. I knew a little bit about it. I'd seen the Gendi Tarakoski series um, and I enjoyed it. I didn't particularly love it, but I did enjoy it. Um, I felt like I do remember the Tarakoski series. I felt like it did a great job of blending the prequels with the feel of the originals, if that makes any sense. Like it was prequel stories, but it had like, I don't know, for some reason, like a similar beat to like, uh, the, the original trilogy, um, just with the serialness of it. Um, but yeah, the Clone Wars animated series was something that I was a little late to the game on, but yeah, I mean, what a great way to put it. It was kind of this Star Wars renaissance because it's like, how is Star Wars going to live on? How is it going to continue to perforate, you know, culture? Um, and George mm-hmm. had this great brainchild of the Clone Wars series. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. And I, I did see the movie in theaters uh, with my brother. He and I went to go see it. We enjoyed it. It was silly um, and fun. But I remember walking out and uh, there were some you know fanboys standing there you know in the hall just griping about it as soon as we walked out the door and i was like oh come on it's an animated movie it's supposed to be the beginning of a tv show knock it off give it some (laughs) yeah give it some slack um i saw you know yeah i saw it when it came out on home release and 
I mean, I will admit, I was like, this is so stupid. Like, I, I didn't like feel the need to hate on it, but I didn't like it, which is why I didn't try the show. Cause I was like, I didn't like the movie. Why am I going to like the show? Um, Fair enough. And, and I've watched the movie twice after that time. That's it. Maybe three times. And every time I watch it, I'm like, I really don't care for this movie, even though I love the show. Like, it's fine, but um, it's just not my favorite. I honestly, I honestly think if it was broken up into three or four episodes like the show itself, it might actually work better. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think so, too. So, I think so, too. And it was supposed to be the first three ep- you know, the first you know, episodes yeah. of the show anyways. Right. Uh, but Warner Brothers was, was like, hey, let's, uh, let's turn it into a movie and get some more you know, money bang for our buck. Yes. Yeah. I still yeah, would okay. love it once, you know, the world has gone back to some, some more consistent normalcy. I would love it if we could get some of the Mandalorian stuff put together and put on the big screen. That'd be awesome. That would be amazing. Just, just love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but awesome. Well, I am going to just move us a little bit further into 2005. Um, Halloween of 2005 was a big day, Jason. Do you remember why? I doubt you. I mean, I, I kind of doubt you will, but Halloween no, of 2005 saw the release of two great things on home media. We got the DVD release of Revenge of the Sith on the same day as Battlefront 2 for PlayStation 2. Um, yeah. And oh, I remember going to uh, to a GameStop in Syracuse because I went to college in Syracuse, New York. I went to to get both the DVD and the and I remember it because I think I did a pre I did a I did a pre-sale of the Revenge of the Sith DVD and I think it got me five dollars off the Battlefront 2 release. So I was going to a Walmart to pick up my movie and then I was going to or no no, I think I got it at Toys R Us. But then I went to a GameStop to pick up the game. Um and I was excited. <laughs> At last, bring home the year's biggest movie on DVD. Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Critics reign. It's riveting, breathtaking, and emotionally powerful. You were the chosen one! Buy Star Wars Episode 3 on DVD today. I did. <laughs> and <laughs> Prepare for the sequel to the best-selling Star Wars game of all time. Fight as a Jedi. Fight in space. Fight the battles any way you want. Star Wars Battlefront 2. On Tuesday, you fight again. Ready, team? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was so... On Tuesday, you fight again. <laughs> so apparently October 31st was a Tuesday in 2005. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was so thrilled for the release of both of these. And, and Revenge of the Sith, like, I, I don't think it was my favorite prequel even then. I think Attack of the Clones was my favorite prequel for the longest time. And then... Um, Revenge of the Sith, and now it's Phantom Menace. But um, I was so excited to go pick up both of those in the same night. And um, I did have a ripped version of Revenge of the Sith on DVD, in air quotes, um, that I remember. This was so weird. I was like, I'm so excited for Revenge of the Sith to come out at midnight tonight that I put it on repeat on my DVD player and my dorm TV. I put it on for 24 hours before it came out. And I was like, every time I get, got back from class, I would just turn on my TV and be like, oh, here's where we're watching Revenge of the Sith. Because then I remember when I got home with the DVD, I'm like, I don't really feel like watching it because I had just had it on for 24 straight hours. Um, but I do remember. Yeah. So I when I went to get both of them, um, this was the first time I had a group of friends who also liked Star Wars, which was, again, it was kind of this 
beautifully serendipitous moment where I knew this relationship with my cousins was kind of fading out. But finally in college, I like I owned that Star Wars fandom and I had some friends who also really liked Star Wars. So I went with like three or four of my my close buddies in college to GameStop at midnight. We got back, you know, to campus probably at 1231 in the morning. I think we played till like 5 a.m. Battlefront 2. <laughs> and it was just like this immense celebration of like, I have friends to play Star Wars with again. And it was just so much fun. And, and you know, like I'll, I'll just, I'll never forget that experience because I think to this day, there is nothing quite like celebrating Star Wars in a community with a group of people you really care about. Um, so, you know, this was kind of my first adult experience of that was, you know, again, I'm in college, I have my own, <laughs> my own car, so we could go at midnight to a GameStop, pick up this game and then come back to our dorm and play it till the wee hours of the morning, <laughs> you know, and it was awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I, my brother and I got uh battlefront two for the PC. Um, and we played that alternately, you know, we, we didn't play, uh, against other players, but we played the single player stuff. Cause you could still do that. You could still have, you know, um, just the, the maps full of, you know, uh, AI, you know, stormtroopers or battle droids or whatever. Um, and we played that a lot. I remember mm. playing for the most part, I played a lot of the, um, the special cantina or not, cantina, uh, you know, uh, Moss Eisley level where you could do just the heroes. All the heroes. It yes. was awesome. Yeah. I've played that for hours and hours at a time uh, over and over and over again. So it was so much fun. Um, that game was a blast. I, the, the, the Jedi Temple level was awesome. You could fight in the archives. You could fight down the hallway where Anakin and Obi-Wan have their confrontation. Like, it was so fun. Yeah. No, it was really cool. The maps were fantastic and yeah. huge at yeah. the time, you yep. know, just like how do they fit all of this on my disc? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, they had well, I, I in that game. The, 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 um, the, the PC game had the play disc, but the, ins- it had four discs for the installation. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was one of those. So <laughs> I remember that. Um, so it was the play disc and three others total in, in, in this box. So that was, that was crazy. Um, that 2005 games, folks. That's, that's what you got. Uh, so, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really awesome. Uh, unfortunately, our computer wasn't the greatest. And so like a lot of the, the far back backgrounds didn't load. And so everything was just like black. <laughs> you know, like, so you, you have the bright effect of the sunshine yeah. in Mont Eisley, but the sky is just black because it's my, our computer wasn't good enough to load the back sure. to, and fast enough to load the backgrounds. So it was like, oh, oh, well. I can still play. We can still yeah. play. That was what was, was important. So oh, I love it. I love it. That was such a great game. Yeah, it really was, uh, which is why I still play the newer ones sometimes. So. I need to play the I, new Battlefront 2 again. I haven't played it in a while, but it was fun there for a while. Yeah. I was getting really good with Dooku in the, the hero battles. I was getting really good with him. I sucked at the hero battles. I loved playing it, but I was terrible. The only one I was kind of good with was Kylo. So, um, But anyway, why don't we get to anyway. your next one? 
Yeah. Um, podcasts. Podcasts. Ooh, I started listening yes. to podcasts uh, right about the time that the Clone Wars uh, was getting started. Frontlines, the Clone Wars pod- podcast and Republic Forces Radio Network were my first two podcasts. And they were all about the Clone Wars. So um, this is when I started listening to them and getting involved with the podcast community online. Uh, and I'd never really been involved in a community online up until this point with anything. Um, so it was sort of a, a new thing to start listening to podcasts and then being able to talk with the hosts online and other people that listen to the same podcast. Uh, cause frontlines ended up with a, you know, a couple of a year or two later ended up with a forum, uh, online. Cause back when forums were still a thing, um, and I was on there often enough, uh, and I contributed to the show by recreating their intro when they got, uh, you know, when Cranky joined the show, mm-hmm. uh, and he wasn't named in the intro any, you know, at all. And I was like, well, you need to have his him named. So I've recreated their intro for them as a just a fun thing, and they ended up using it. Um, so because of that, I ended up being one of the moderators on the front lines, the Clone Wars forum when that opened up. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, that was when podcasts started becoming a thing for me. And I, of course, after the, those two initial ones, it just started blossoming out to, you know, Sarlacc Pit and then Star Wars Report and things like that, which led me to meeting Carl later on. But that's a topic for next week. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, Star Wars podcast started in 2008 for me, uh, shortly after um, Star Wars The Clone Wars started. Uh, it was it was in ordering the first season of Clone Wars on iTunes that I was like, you bought this. You might also be interested in this. And it was, you know, links to podcasts. And I was like, what's a podcast? So, and I found out. So, <laughs> because it was free. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, um, that's when that started. Yeah. You know, it's funny because like, obviously I'll talk more about this stuff next week, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, as you mentioned that, you know, uh, Mike Cohen and, and Matt Cranky, who are, you know, obviously friends of ours, they, both of them great guys, um, you know, they're two of the few people who've been podcasting longer than you and I. <laughs> so, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're very few Star Wars podcasters who have been th- the same duo for a decade. Like, there's only a few yeah. people besides... Um, besides us. Um, and I, I don't mean to be like a humble braggart there, but I'm, it's just more like humble, proud. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah, it's but like, yeah, wow. It, it, wow. this happened somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I love that. I love that. That's, uh, cause obviously that is going to be, you know, a step into a whole new world for you and, and me too, when I finally get to them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so, uh, well, let me share my last thing here. Um, and it's sort of similar in a small way to kind of what you were talking about earlier with your new appreciation of Palpatine and Return of the Jedi. Um, well, maybe it's not really like that at all, but uh, just more of a looking back. So, you know, this is kind of encompassing the rest of my college experience, which was where I really started to connect Star Wars to spirituality and theology. Because, you know, in in my undergrad studies, I was a religious studies major. Um, and obviously went on to study, you know, theology in graduate school. Um, but 
it was in college when I started to kind of look at Star Wars with this sort of intellectual lens. Like I started, you know, and to be fair, in, you know, 2005 through 2008, when I was finishing up college, there, I, you know, there wasn't the ready access to how all of this information about the mythology and the theology of Star Wars, like they weren't at your fingertips the way they are today. So when it kind of just dawned on me, like as I was studying this stuff in the classroom that like, oh my gosh, Star Wars is imbued with this stuff. It became Mm -hmm. like, it became more than just something I loved as a, as a young person. It became something that I was like intellectually passionate about as well. Um, And I remember it specifically, and I don't remember, I think it was like the start of my junior year of college um, where I was taking uh, a theology and art class and we were looking at, we did this whole unit on like uh, pieces of Christian art is signifying redemption. And immediately it just like clicked in me. I was like, Oh my gosh, the story of Anakin is the story of Christian redemption, right? It's this story about how no one is ever beyond the purview of grace. You know, no one is ever outside of, uh, of the possibility of, of love and forgiveness. Um, and I was just like, oh my gosh, Star Wars is so full of this. And when I was an undergrad, I actually, most of my studies were focused on Eastern religion. So I was mostly studying Buddhism and Hinduism, um, which really the original trilogy is far more Taoist than anything else with a little bit of Zen Buddhism thrown in there. It's really not the only real Christian part of the original trilogy is the redemption of Vader. Everything else is very Buddhist. Um, yeah. And I just, again, it was just like this, this intellectual stimulation of like, I can actually start having conversations about Star Wars with my like academic buddies, you know, like my friends that I was studying religion with. Um, I actually practiced Zen Zen Buddhism in junior and senior year of college. I went to a Zen center twice a week to meditate. And like I just started talking with some of my friends that were doing this with me about how like, hey, this is like Star Wars. (laughs) And it was just so cool to me. Um, And the start of senior year was the first time I ever bought what I call like an adult collectible for myself because I didn't really buy action figures during Revenge of the Sith at all. I didn't buy any of them because I just I was just in that stage where it's like, I don't know where to put them. I don't have a lot of money. Um, But I there was a local comic store not far from my campus and it was called Cloud City Comics. Um, And I bought a Kotobukai Yoda. Um, He's sitting on a stump on Dagobah, like pointing at you. And I bought that because I was like, this is the Buddha. Like Yoda is the Buddha. He is the enlightened one passing out enlightenment to those who come to him. And like, I put that at the center of my dorm, you know, the rest of senior year, it became the centerpiece of my apartment when I first moved to Boston. Um, You know, Buddha was uh, just this beautiful uh, religious person who was, who was really enriching my own religious life. And then I saw that in the character of Yoda. I was like, Yoda is the Buddha. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was just so cool to me. And then when I graduated from college, um, my, my best friend from college, Nate bought me the Qui-Gon Jinn gentle giant bust, um, which we like to call the blessing hands of Liam Neeson. Um, mm. cause he, he looks like a priest yeah. holding up his hand in blessing. <laughs> um, yep. But it, it all, that that gift always stands out to me because like in a really Nate was my closest friend and he recognized in a way how sacred Star Wars was to me. So it was kind of cool having someone outside of my life that looked at me and said, hey, Star Wars is really special to you. It's really holy to you. So here's this gift for you. Um, and it was just like it was this really cool way of 
you know, the rest of my life now was going to be enmeshing my love and passion for spirituality and religion with my love and passion of Star Wars. And it just kind of came to this beautiful head by the time I graduated from, from college. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I came, I kind of knew that stuff was there, you know, during this time period, um, in my, you know, my middle fandom, and I started putting some of those dots together, but I didn't fully really explore it until, you know, we started podcasting. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I knew stuff was there. I had kind of, you know, made literary connections and religious connections and things like that, you know, um, you know, here and there sort of piecemeal throughout, you know, the, the period that we're talking about now, but it really was, uh, later before I really started to grapple with those connections in any meaningful way. Um, and I've had the great opportunity to do that with you, you know, for the past 10 years now, almost. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's not really part of my, my middle fandom uh, journey per se, but definitely something that I was becoming aware of at the time but not so much grappling with until a little later. So mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last thing I want to, you know, to bring up for this, this middle part of my fandom uh, is in 2010. And this is kind of a nice little button on, on where things were at the time I got to go see Star Wars in concert. Oh, yeah. Summer of 2010, I got to go see Star Wars in concert. And it is still one of the most amazing and beautiful and moving concerts I've ever been to. I cried during the playing of Princess Leia's theme. The uh just the this atmosphere of it was incredible, you know, beforehand as they had all the sound effects playing throughout the the arena. Um it was just amazing to to watch this all be put on display for me with a full orchestra and you know storytelling through music and you know the commentary by anthony daniels he's you know anthony's a consummate performer but uh just everything going on with all of it was just amazing and astounding to me and i loved it and i knew how important star it, the music was in telling the star Wars story. Um, and you know, I'd eaten up that, that DVD that came with the revenge of the Sith soundtrack numerous oh, times, yeah. but this was like being able to bring that all to life and just see it in a new refreshing way. And it was just amazing. I, I, I couldn't get enough of it, but summer 2010, I got to go see, Star Wars in concert. And that sort of puts like a nice little, you know, this is the first time I really like spent money to go experience Star Wars in any way other than a movie theater. Um, you know, or, or buying toys. So that was, it's kind of like a nice little, you know, bow on the end of my, my middle fandom here before things really started changing. And we'll get into <laughs> the modern fandom side of things next episode. But yeah. That's uh, uh yeah. I, 
you know, I'll be honest because I don't, I don't, I don't think I will mention Star Wars in concert next week just because there's so many other things I feel like I need to tackle because <laughs> I've limited myself to a huge window <laughs> for the last look of what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Star Wars in concert was certainly a standout experience for me as well. That was just so, so cool. And I really hope that they do that again and, and you know, do the whole nine part saga. Um, it'd be so cool to see, you know, Ray's theme being played and March of the, Re- now to be fair, I did get to see March of the resistance and Ray's theme and all the great force awakens music conducted by John Williams himself back in 2015. Um, which is so, so <laughs> jealous of that. You it have was, no idea, Carl. It was awesome. And I got to go full free, which was great too. Um, and then we, you know, we got to stand about mm, Greg and I obviously went with my buddy, Greg. Um, and, uh, I think we were about 15 feet from John Williams. Cause we waited by the back door, hoping to like see him, maybe get an autograph or a picture. But of course you had the, you know, the autograph hounds right in the way. So I was like, yeah, we're not going to fight him, but it was still cool to be 15 feet from George or John Williams. So, um, That's awesome. yeah, it was awesome. But yeah, Star Wars in concert was such a cool experience. It really was. It really was. So, uh, uh yeah. What a, what a great time to be a Star Wars fan, you know? It really was. I, uh, to be fair, I don't know that there's ever a bad time to be no. a Star Wars fan. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, uh, so, you know, next week we're going to kind of, you know, wrap up <laughs> um, our, our fandom experience. And I'm going to truncate a lot of things next week just because there's so much I have left myself to cover, basically. <laughs> Um, a decade's worth of Star Wars fandom, but, um, you know, this has been really fun. I've really been enjoying kind of this look back on, on the, the ways in which Star Wars has captured us throughout our lives, because I'm fairly certain if you are listening right now, I'm sure it's very true for you too, that Star Wars throughout much of your life has captured you for different reasons and in different ways. Um, and as always, Mm -hmm. we encourage you to share any of that with us, you know, you can, you can comment on our posts on social you can send us an email we always love to read those stories yes yes indeed um and of course please uh for those of you who follow us on our social media particularly twitter and instagram make sure that you're keeping up with all of our fun that we're having with you know our this is madness tournament this year you know um this is what four years five years now of this uh I think it's the f- it's the fourth year. I don't. It's no more than that. It's it's we're. I think we're just yeah. in our fourth year of doing it because I think we did three years yeah. of character matchups, and this is our fourth year, in in, uh, in total. So yeah, yeah. Um, Gosh, so so exciting. I'm so I'm I'm having so much fun with this one. So. Yeah, same here, same here. And like I said, we'll be in the Sweet Sixteen this week. So so exciting keep an eye out for that and folks uh carl if people want to weigh in on any of those or talk about some of their different fandom experiences like we're we're going back and reviewing here uh where can people get in contact with us sir um well of course you can get at us on twitter at wampas lair uh we're on instagram the underscore wampas lair you can email us at wampas lair podcast at gmail.com and we are on facebook at wampas lair podcast Excellent. Uh, well, is uh, anything else you want to say before we close <laughs> out this episode, Carl? No, all, all good to go. Excellent. Well, 
that'll wrap up this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. This has been episode number 417, Galactic Highlights, part two. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time for part three here in the Wampus Lair. <laughs>